Hey guys. It's us. It's Corinne and Sabrina from Two Girls, One Two Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we're not haunted, or so we hope. Wait. Although Corinne froze immediately upon recording. Poor connection. Corinne. Well, that was a good start. <laughs> I just said we're not haunted, and then our connection cuts out. Well, <laughs> it's just a connection. It happens every single time we record. All right, moving past it. I will say, though, I'm really glad, as much as everyone was commenting on our social media saying, oh, I wish I could hear the noise that you guys heard, I'm glad that the mics didn't pick it up and it only came through the computer and our own headphones. Yeah. Because I don't want to be responsible for a mass haunting and thousands of people being haunted because we just projected this sound everywhere. It's like the black tapes. I completely agree. That would be... uh, That would be interesting. And it would definitely get us on the news. Yeah, maybe more people would listen to us. (laughs) I don't know if that's the publicity we want. (laughs) No, no, we don't. And, like, honestly, so I burned some frankincense as soon as we hung up. And my fruit fly was hanging out for a while. And I haven't felt anything bad since. I don't know what that was. Or our ghost was saying, hello, don't forget about me. Yeah, Someone or a few people have emailed us and we're like, it's just your ghost. Just come in to say hi and get its spotlight on the podcast. And I was like, okay, that's true. And then, well, then someone else emailed because we talked about if I died, how you'd have to continue the podcast alone. And someone said, well, if that happens, you can name the podcast Two Girls, One's a Ghost. Wait, this is the email that I marked to read to you. Oh, really? I responded to. Yes. Other people emailed us, too. We had a couple people email us about how, if you died, <laughs> what we would do. <laughs> and Trish said, longtime listener, love the show. Started on, like, number three. I just felt like I needed to help you with some of the things you were dealing with. Number one, you're not having audio issues. It's just the name of your podcast. It's the third co-host trying to make themselves <laughs> known. And number two, if one of you dies, the podcast name just changes to two ghosts one girl, no need to end it. <laughs> and then D emailed and said, hi girls, love the show. After listening to the most recent episode with Sabrina saying if she got killed, the podcast would be canceled. I thought that the podcast could continue and it could just be called two girls. One's a ghost. I love it. <laughs> so we have support for moving forward. If something happens to one of us. Yes. Well, I think it's clear that we might actually have one. I know. As much as we didn't think we did when we first started. So I wouldn't want to get their story wrong, but I also don't want to bring out a Ouija board to find out what their story is. No. If anyone else wants to do that and let us know, but use it properly. Don't do anything stupid. Yeah. And don't let them know where, I I don't know. Don't tell them about us. (laughs) I don't want them coming to search for us. They clearly already know where we are. (sighs) scary oh we also had another cool thing so way back when during one of the episodes when we were both at home for the holidays you had gone to a store with your cousin and picked up the book called 199 cemeteries to see before you die by lauren rhodes and we mentioned it on the podcast and then next thing we know lauren rhodes is emailing us Yes, that was so cool. She was was like, hey, I heard that you mentioned my book. (laughs) Yeah. And she was like, thanks for that. I'm glad it led me to your podcast. What fun. And she has never personally experienced anything spiritual or paranormal inside cemeteries, but she wishes she had. And she said, I've had a couple of ghostly experiences, although nothing in a cemetery yet. I had an experience in Chicago's Rose Hill Cemetery, but it wasn't really ghostly. I've seen my friend Blair's ghost, though, and my house was haunted when I moved it, although it seems to have settled down. Oh, and I went twice to the Haunted Mansion Writer's Retreat, where weird things happened to a bunch of us. It was the only time I've been touched by a ghost. I'd love to talk with you more sometime. Stay morbid, Lauren. So cool. So cool. And it's just, I love that to even if she hasn't had that many experiences. It's just one of those things that everybody loves telling ghost stories and it doesn't mean you can't be fascinated with something, even if you are a little skeptical or you haven't experienced anything yourself. Right. And, okay, so where I found her book, which was in uh, Deadwick's 
Emporium or whatever in Portsmouth. Yeah. And Portsmouth actually has, not to bring up Portsmouth. It's like every episode I'm like, Portsmouth or <laughs> somewhere in Vermont. Um, but there's a cemetery in Portsmouth that has the glowing gravestone. Which what? There's someone's tombstone is made of some material that absorbs the light in the, of the sun. And then at night it glows. Whoa, that is so cool. It's like a yeah. solar panel. I haven't seen it, but my mom, when she was younger, she used to, like, bike through the cemetery and whatnot and look at it. Oh, that's cool. I would do that, too. Yeah. So the reason we're talking about all these cemeteries and graveyards is because it's our topic this week. Would you want to be buried or cremated? I don't really know. Whatever's easiest for others. I'm already gone. What does it matter? (laughs) Yeah. Like... I want to donate all of my if, – if you can scoop anything out and use it for other people, do it. I think that would be the medical term that they use, scoop things out. <laughs> We're going to scoop Corinne's organs out. Just scoop them out. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, if someone – maybe cremate me. Cremate me, and then if my family has spots and plots in a in a cemetery, they can put, like, a little marker just as a – Hey, she's with us here too. But like, I don't care where my body goes. You can feed me to the pigs. I, I totally understand burials and funerals are such a religious concept, but I Mm -hmm. have such a fear of bugs and spiders. I would not want my body (laughs) to like be buried in ground where just bugs can feast on me. Right. And, but then you're helping the ecosystem. You're helping fertilize the land but not in okay after reading my story there's i strongly feel like getting cremated and also i want at my funeral or at my whatever at my wake i want memorial service yeah instead of spreading my ashes i want everyone to like get a little capsule with my ashes in it and oh sabrina (laughs) that's weird but then, like, because everyone says they, they spread their ashes in places that the person loved. But I want to be with all the people I loved. That's a very nice thought behind it, I will <laughs> say. But it might be a little creepy to just hand out little, like, heart-shaped lockets with <laughs> your body inside. It could be like Girl Scout camp. You know, those little, like, sand bottles you would make? And everyone oh, just, yeah. like, you know. No one needs yeah. to know that they're human ashes when you show it to people. Oh, my God. So creepy. My dad wants to be buried and my mom wants to be cremated, so I'm not really sure how I'm going to deal with that. Because my dad said he he wants a tombstone to say, I told you I was sick. And then my mom wants to be cremated, and I was like, Mom, we can cremate you, but we also need to give you a headstone right next to dad's. And you can point to his and say, I'm with stupid. (laughs) I I like that. Hopefully we're not close to death, so we don't have to think about that No, for a while. Also, before we get into our individual ones, I looked up cemetery superstitions, and there are a ton of them. Like when you're – when I was a little kid, you'd have to close your eyes and plug your nose and ears because the spirits would enter your body through your – Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to hold your breath when passing a cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's also considered bad luck to be the first – or the last one buried in a cemetery. So a lot of new cemeteries would bury animals as the first burial instead of a human. Because I guess there's a legend that says if you're the first one buried there, then you're forced to become the guard of the cemetery. So you just watch all these other spirits come through and then pass on, but you're stuck guarding the cemetery. So I guess that's where it comes from. Uh, Which would be pretty sad. Yeah. A lot of them are kind of contradictory. There was one that was like, if it rains in an open grave, then bad luck will fall on the deceased family. But then it was also considered good luck if it rains on a corpse during its journey from the house to the cemetery. So, you know, I don't know what to believe. Not to say people are making them up, but a lot of these could just be, you know. Yeah. Well, then it's not also really said, have any stories to back them up. Yeah, I feel like. Some of them also are based on the times created when life expectancy was much lower, so people were dying more often, and it's easier to kind of to blame it on a superstition than on health reasons. I can see how that would be a thing, yeah. But I guess you're also supposed to, most graveyards will lie east to west with the bodies buried with their heads to the west and their feet to the east, so that the body faces the rising sun and the judgment day. Oh, that's, I like that, because you get to see the sunrise every day. 
Yeah. So romantic. Oh, there's also, you're not supposed to walk over a grave, which I understand. I feel like you don't want to step over where someone's final resting place is. Yeah. I always just tried to avoid it because when I was little, I was like, they're going to reach up and grab me. Oh, yeah. That was also the big fear. (laughs) Just a hand reaching out of the ground. Right. Creepy. No, thank you. Leave my ankles alone. I read in the research that although many people believe that cemeteries are some of the most haunted places, or you would think that they're some of the most haunted places Mm -hmm. on Earth, they're actually quite peaceful for the most part. Maybe not my story. Are you first this week? Do you want to tell your story? I think you are, but I don't mind going first. It doesn't Yeah, you should go first. You've okay. already mentioned it a few times, so That's now true. I'm really curious. Okay, so I did the Paris catacombs. Ooh! Have you been? I have not, and it was the one thing that I wish that I had gotten to while in Paris, but there's just so much to do, and I had been traveling. I was backpacking with my sister when we were there, so we really didn't have a ton of time in each place that we went to. And I don't think my sister – I don't think this is my sister's kind of thing. Oh. It'd be my thing for sure. <laughs> Me too. Well, next time I go to Paris, I'll take you. You should have just dropped her at a coffee shop. Like, you just eat this – eat Croissant. the scone and drink your coffee. I'll be back in a couple of hours. <laughs> bon appétit. Bon appétit. Have you been – No, I've only been to one town in France, and it's nowhere near Paris. Oh. Well, the history of the Paris catacombs is really interesting, and I didn't really know much about it before this. It wasn't always a catacomb. It was originally mining tunnels for limestone, which was used during the time of the Romans to build the city. So, like, the Notre Dame church is built with the limestone that was mined from underground and the whole city is kind of built upon these quarries oh that's cool yeah i'm just trying to figure out i mean i've never been to paris but i'm trying to visualize it like if some of the cities actually over it built over it or if they're just like on the side no it's straight up built over it there are i think over 200 miles of quarries underneath the city and there have been instances where streets will cave in because the tunnels cave in And that's why there are no huge, tall, high-rise buildings in Paris, because the foundation isn't that strong. Can you enter? Are there multiple entryways, I wonder? Because I'm just thinking, like, obviously they do tours, and you have to pay to probably do the tour, but could you enter it some other way? Is it legal? It is definitely not legal, and there's only one section of it, which is, like, I think two kilometers long, that they allow tours in, but then the rest of it is off limits. Two kilometers is a very small section I to know. explore. I know. But there are people who are called cataphiles, people who explore the catacombs, who will go under now and explore them. But Illegally. a lot of people get lost and never come back. But first I want to tell history of the catacombs. So in the 17th century, Paris had grown into a major European city And because of this, they ran into a problem. So many people had lived and died in the city that the cemeteries were overflowing. And a lot of people were poor in that time and they couldn't afford to be buried in cemeteries. So there was just one cemetery that was called Les Les Innocents, the Innocents. And that's where a lot of poor people would be buried. But the graves were so stuffed to the point where corpses would become uncovered and the smell would take over the entire city. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, so... Wait, when was this happening? The 17th century. Okay, because I was about to say, that's really gross, but, like, could you... Things were very stinky back then, so maybe yeah, but it wasn't that extreme in comparison. It was extreme. All, it, it was definitely extreme. It was six million bodies in one cemetery. No, oh, I guess that's true. I was thinking, like, one floating up and people being no, like, no, no. it's a little stinky right here. Yeah, there was, like, an investigation that uh, saw meat rot before your eyes, so that could be just from the normal air, but it also, people think it was because of the cemetery and all the death and rot from the cemetery pouring into the city. Yeah. (laughs) So, Les Innocents was the city's oldest and largest cemetery, and it had been created, like I said, for the poor. They would try to accommodate all of the bodies of the dead and would leave graves open until they were deemed full, which was about 1,500 bodies at a time. And they wanted to continue having the services, so they would have 
the funeral service with the body in a coffin. But once the service was over, the bottom of the coffin would open as like with trap doors and just drop the body into the ground because they didn't have room for the coffin to actually be buried. And they would also, to make room, grave diggers and cemetery workers would dismember the bodies of the dead and only bury the torso and burn the rest of the body. What? And yes, it's why because there was not enough room. Fold them up. I don't know. <laughs> but also, this is very morbid. But also, that takes up more room than if you're just putting the torso in the in the ground. True. But yeah, so they would bury bodies, and <laughs> this is so morbid. They <laughs> would bury bodies, let them decay, and then dig them up and unbury the bones and move the bones into the walls of the cemetery. In order to make more room for, like, fresher bodies in the ground. Basically, it was just, like, not kosher and not ideal for you to be buried there. But in 1418, the Black Death brought over 50,000 dead to Les Innocents within a five-week period. And then the 100-year war brought even more. And then by the late 17th century, locals were constantly complaining of the putrid smells of decay that seemed to swallow the air of Parisian streets. So in 1763, the Crown conducted an investigation where, like I said, investigators saw meat rot before their eyes, wine that turned to vinegar, tapestries that would change color based on the air, and smells that made it impossible to breathe. So it wasn't until 1780 that they were like, okay, we need to put an end to burials at this cemetery and other cemeteries in Paris and find a new place to put them. Mm -hmm. And they finally, the only reason that they decided to do this was because in 1780, the property next, a cellar next to the Les Innocents Cemetery gave way under weight, under the weight of the cemetery ground and all these decomposed bodies spilled into the room. Just imagine you're hanging out in your cellar and then all of a sudden your wall caves in and a ton of bodies spill through. My jaws dropped just thinking about it. I'm like <laughs> wincing. Ooh, I'm just trying to picture myself like, la, 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 like just down here, maybe reading yeah. a book, taking a break from the world and bleh, all of these bodies pour yep. onto you. Yeah. Oh, gross. Definitely not ideal. And also how horrible for the people whose bodies are supposed to be at rest somewhere and they're constantly exactly. just sliding everywhere. Exactly. Well, and then also you're just being moved a ton. You're maybe possibly being dismembered. Even though you're dead, it's still like, I feel like souls have an attachment to their body when they first die, you know, and that's why mm -hmm. they often will haunt cemeteries or wherever they're buried because that's, they're attached to their bodies. I do wonder if somehow there was some research somewhere that there definitely wouldn't be, but I'm just thinking I wonder if spirits are more likely to move on if they're cremated versus being buried. I don't know. And I don't know how you would conduct that research. You probably can't. <laughs> I feel like it more matters on the person's life and like if they felt fulfilled or not. Yeah. Or also maybe if their loved ones didn't follow their instructions after death. Yeah. Or even just sheer confusion. Depending yeah, on the that way too. that you go, it might be very confusing in your... I just yeah. keep thinking of the movie The Others, where it's just, like, not really understanding what's going on. Right. Dying is sad. Maybe not for the people that die, because they probably don't... From what it seems like from people's reincarnation stories or near-death experiences, it seems like it's something special when you move across... Right. Yeah, I think it can be. That would be great and ideal if everyone was had a special passing on. But alas, not all do, and that is why we have the podcast and <laughs> talk about ghosts. Exactly, yeah. We would not be here today if that were the case. Okay, back to the Paris catacombs. In 1786, they decided to finally move and unbury all of the bodies at Les Innocences and some of the other cemeteries in Paris into the mines underneath the city. So in 1786, the former quarries were blessed and consecrated, establishing the Paris catacombs. In the darkness of night, priests would lead convoys of volunteers who unearthed the bodies and carried them to the catacombs with the priests, le priests leading them in these chants, which I feel like the image of that is pretty creepy. In the middle of the night, priests leading people carrying bodies down into the catacombs. Mm-hmm. 
I just got chills. It's pretty creepy. So at first it was very unorganized and because there was just such a high amount of bones, the volunteers would kind of just like pile them in to the quarries with no rhyme or reason. And so the hallways were just lined with piles of skulls and bones. And it wasn't until 1808 that Hericart de Thury decided to rearrange and renovate the passageways by assembling walls and columns of skulls and tibias and other bones. So if you've seen pictures of the catacombs, you'll see a lot of pictures where like the walls are lined in skulls and bones in like a very neat and organized way. Mm-hmm. But it kind of freaks me out because, and other people feel like it. it's a little bit macabre and, and humorous in terms of the way, in terms of the treatment of these people. Like, Skulls and bones, I don't think, should be used as art. It's a little yeah. horrific. And it's so, kind people, of like, where does the line go between feeling like you're taking advantage or abusing someone's body when they're you should be respecting it, and right. then it's been long enough, sort right. of thing. So, it's kind of thought that a lot of spirits are down in the catacombs, searching for their pieces of themselves of their human bodies. Oh, wow. Because it's all over. Um, and not the whole 200 miles of the cate- of the quarries are used, but there are a lot of videos of people finding random entrances into the catacombs and just walking, and the entire ground is just covered in bones. And you cannot step on or find the actual ground. It's just bones. Oh, my God. So do they not use – is it done with mining? There's no more limestone or whatever down there? Yeah, they don't use the mines anymore. Okay. Uh, So the catacombs are only 60 feet below the ground and are believed to extend over 200 miles with entrances in cellars of restaurants, churches, hospitals, and sewers. So wherever you sleep or eat in Paris, you're just a few meters away from the catacombs at any given time. And I wonder if those places are haunted too that have entrances to yeah, I wonder. catacombs. Most of those entrances are closed off just because there's a police force in Paris that kind of restricts access to the catacombs. And they've sealed off a lot of those entrances to prevent mm-hmm. anyone from going in and just keep it to the one restricted area that pe- that tourists are allowed to visit. Where you have to pay. <laughs> right, where you have to pay. Exactly. But Get the tourism money. Yeah, but there's also a ton of history before they were all sealed off. The catacombs were used during World War II for both the resistance and Nazi hideouts. And there are, like, secret societies that have formed underneath the catacombs. Or um, there there are also a ton of murders that have happened underneath the catacombs and beheadings. And I think it was in – I can't remember. But eventually they stopped burying people in the catacombs, and now it's just closed off. But like I said, they're the cataphiles and people who still explore them. Honestly, and not to not to ever like plant an idea or encourage something because I don't condone murder. <laughs> but if you were going to commit a murder, that would not be a bad place to put the body. Because if you can figure out how to go deep within and retrace your steps right back out, who's going to find it? Oh, Corinne, you have such the mind of these serial killers in Paris. <laughs> It does happen. There are a lot of people who have been brought down into the catacombs and killed, and then no one will ever find them because, one, the catacombs extend for so many miles, and then, two, it's just easy to hide the body within that area because there are just so many bones. Right. And that's the thing with the catacombs is that all these people are – like, no one knows who any of these people are that are buried underneath there. And because of that, there are a ton of ghost legends and stories that surround the catacombs. And it's believed, like I said, that the bodies weren't disposed of with respect. And because they were often uprooted or moved around, the entire place is evil. At the entrance of the catacombs is a sign that says, stop. This here is the empire of death. That's very creepy. Why was that put? Well, the guy who rearranged and renovated the passageways with the walls and columns of bones, had a very dark sense of humor, and he kind of put all these signs along the catacombs. And right, because I was going to say, was it was it an older sign that someone something happened and someone felt like they had to put it up like a danger sign? Or my other thought was like, well, it's a tourist attraction, so 
you know, enter at your own risk, sort of like. It was definitely not made as a tourist attraction. It was made as like a final resting place. And now I think because of this historical relevance, it has become a tourist attraction. Okay. So that was put up there in the 1780s. But more than a million visitors a year are said to walk the dark catacombs, and people report feeling spirits more often than seeing them. People have felt a ghost touching them, grabbing their hands and clothes. Other visitors have passed out from fear. There are some tour groups that have been reported to be cut short due to the overwhelming sense of unease. Batteries will die quickly, and there are reports of groups seeing a group of shadows in one area of the catacombs. A few others have claimed to be strangled. And within the walls, there are these carvings of screaming faces, which people don't really know if they are from the artist or if it's just the way that the walls kind of have formed over time, which is just eerie either way. Into screaming faces. Yeah. Wow. And there are countless numbers of photos and videos that have caught orbs and spirits while within the tunnels. Others will hear intense ringing in their ears while in the tunnels. People have found symbols of satanic worship, and it's believed that if you search hard enough, you can find the gates to hell within the catacombs. Cultists are said to steal bodies from morgues, bring them down into the catacombs, and perform evil rituals on the bodies. And then they're never found again among the millions of bones. Serial killers are said to take their victims into the catacombs and leave their lifeless bodies in the dark corridors. (sighs) Sounds smart to me. (laughs) You would say that. Basically, there are over 6 million remains within the catacombs. And those who dare venture into the catacombs after midnight reportedly hear the walls talking to them. Disembodied voices will try to lure adventurers farther into the tunnels, encouraging, encouraging them to lose their way and suffer a slow and agonizing death. So they're... <gasps> That's so... I mean, it's horrible, but it's so cool. And there are so many stories of people who have actually disappeared. So the first one, the first story that's in existence is from November 3rd of 1793 when the doorman of Val de Grasse Hospital during the French Revolution, Philibert Asper, decided to make his way into the catacombs from the hospital entranceway that he worked at. So he had heard of a bit of a liquor, that was a special bottle that was stored in the basement of a convent. So he decided to go in search of it. So he took along one candle, and he never came back. His body was found 11 years later within the tunnels, and beside him was a bottle of alcohol, so maybe he found what he was looking for, got drunk, and then couldn't find a way out. Yeah. Um, But just a few feet from his body was an exit out of the tunnel, so no one knows exactly what had happened to him. He could have died within days. It could have been weeks. Who knows? But whatever happened to him was probably horrific and terrifying being lost in the tunnels and i imagine his candle blew out and then it was just pitch black for days and maybe he could have just given up i mean just because the entrance was close doesn't mean that he knew it was close right yeah but his spirit is said to haunt the catacombs, and he is now known as the protector of the cataphiles, and he is known to help people find their way out of the catacombs if they get lost and prevent them from dying his pain the same way he did. That's so sweet. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a... So and... there's... I want to hear about, like, the reports of the people. Do they hear voices? And how can you... If it's voices, how can you tell... Which voice is leading you to the exit and which ones are trying to bring you deeper into the catacombs? Well, that's probably the the difficult part of it is that there are all these voices and you, you probably feel like you're going crazy. And if you imagine that your lights go out and I, I don't know, I mean, I just imagine panic. Right. Recently, actually, in 2017, two teenagers who were 16 and 17 got lost in the tunnel for three whole days without food or water. And... On the third day, finally, search and rescue dogs found them. They were severely dehydrated and suffering from hypothermia because it was so cold in the tunnels. Mm-hmm. And the two teens were so traumatized that they have never vocalized what happened. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Oh, now I need to know. <laughs> then there's footage that was found within the tunnels. 
It was in 2010, cataphiles recovered a video camera that was moldy and sitting in like a dirty puddle of water in the catacombs. Mm -hmm. And when they replayed the footage, it showed a man following these dark black arrows with the letter Z through the tunnels. And you kind of see it's from his point of view. So you don't see him, but he's carrying the camera. And the only light he has is from the camera. It's like on top of the camera. Mm -hmm. And he's walking through the dark corridors. He's turning around, like, through all the tunnels and going down deeper into it. And finally, he starts, like, picking up his pace. And you can tell he's panicking a little bit. And he starts running. And then he finally panics, drops the camera, runs off into the distance. And then it gets silent. You don't see or hear anything because the camera's on the ground. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, the guy runs back past the camera back the other way and no one knows who this camera belongs to no one knows if the man ever made it out or if he's lost in the catacombs forever but oh my heart just moved into my stomach oh my goodness it's so scary and abc family actually made a documentary about it it's directed by francis friedland who was determined to find out what happened to the man in the footage and they retraced his steps and went down into the catacombs kind of following the the way he did Mm -hmm. but They didn't find anything. And the documentary is one of those really spooky documentaries where the the stuff itself is, like, captivating and interesting. But what makes it really scary is the voice that, like, in between things, this voice will come on and it will be like, The catacombs contain many tunnels which lead to tower levels. Ew. It's so creepy. (laughs) Um, I'll post the footage, or actually the YouTube video, on our Facebook group, if anyone wants to watch it. It's I want to watch it. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and it said that the footage has inspired the catacomb horror movie As Above, So Below that came out in 2014. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I can't remember if it was, like, actually good, if it was one of those. It kind of, it's filmed like the Blair Witch Project. It's all found footage type of Yeah, those ones movie. are so hit or miss. They're either yeah. terrifying or, like, okay, getting dizzy. It is cool just because it does take place in the catacombs and it's creepy and whatnot. I'll watch the trailer and make my, my own judgment as to whether I'll add it to my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 1920s, H.P. Lovecraft wrote of the old ones who are demonic, godlike beings that ruled the earth eons before man. So it was fiction, But there are cults of people who actually worship these entities and perform horrifying rituals as a gift and offering to the old ones. And they believe that the old ones will come back. And it is said that these cults meet in the catacombs and make offerings to the old gods in an attempt to open the gate of of hell to allow the old ones to emerge. There are so many gates to hell throughout the world. Well, I was thinking about that, and I I imagine that they probably exist everywhere, and it's probably in places similar to this where there are so many souls wandering. Yeah, well, the one that the cemetery that I'm going to talk about is supposedly one of the gates to hell as well. Wow. Well, basically, I don't think the old ones are going to emerge, but it's definitely spooky in the catacombs and i feel like a lot of souls are lost and trying to find their way or some have become evil and are misleading people who go down into the into the catacombs but you can visit if you want they most of the entrances have been sealed but there's the one area that's open to the public and we can and can be toured daily it's not that expensive it was actually only like 13 euros i believe it's 45 minutes long and covers two kilometers of the catacombs but it does say, the warning in on the website says, this tour is not suitable for people with heart or respiratory problems or those of nervous disposition. Well, yeah, because if you start hyperventilating or if you have a medical condition and you're deep in the catacombs or you get lost, like, that's it, right? Yeah, totally. I want to hear about yours. Well, mine is... Not full of restful spirits. It's the opposite. Oh. The Greyfriars Kirkyard and the Mackenzie Poltergeist in Greyfriars. Oh, that sounds scary. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it, I was like, what? I have to do this one. Yikes. Where is it? It's in Edinburgh, Scotland. So it's overseas, closer to you, in Paris. Edinburgh? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Edinburgh. Shit. Uh, the only reason I know that is because I performed at the Fringe Festival in Scotland there. What did you perform? 
Back in my actress days, uh, we performed. It was called Twelve Angry Men and Women. It was. Oh, art. was this studying abroad? No, no, no. This was like in high school. My high school had a really good theater program, and we performed. We got invited to perform in Scotland. Oh so, my goodness, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. It was called Twelve Angry Men and Women. It was a spoof off of Twelve Angry Men. Dang, that's amazing. It was really cool. I'm guessing you didn't. You might have gone through this cemetery. Maybe. Because it's very close to everything. It's like in the downtown hub area. No way. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. I had no idea this existed. I don't think... What? Okay. I want to know. Okay. So Edinburgh, right? Edinburgh, Scotland? Yeah. All right. They have a cemetery called Greyfriars Kirkyard, and the cemetery dates back to around the 1560s. It's super beautiful. It's got a very gothic look, and there are angels of death carvings, ghoulish figures that are marked on some of the tombstones, and there are statues placed throughout the property. And I just want to take a moment to talk about one of the statues because I think it's precious. Okay. There I thought you were a- going to say take a moment of silence for all those who've died. Oh, that's not. (laughs) Do we need to do that now? No, no, no. I thought that's what you were going to do, and I was surprised by it. Surprised by by my respect of others? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, I'm talking about a dog. Okay, okay. Oh, oh, good. There is a bronze statue of a terrier that stands guard outside of the grounds, and it was created to honor the Greyfriars Bobby, which is a loyal dog who guarded his deceased owner's grave for 14 whole years until the dog himself passed away. And so the dog was buried near his owner, and then the statue of his love was memorialized and was erected by the Dog Aid Society in 1981. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I looked on the maps, too, and there are some, uh, like, stores or restaurants or something. There's one called the Greyfriars Bobby, and I was like, ah, so sweet. Uh, I love love, even if it's dog love. I know. That's maybe one of the only good parts about the cemetery. Oh, okay. Well, start with the good news and then deliver the bad news. That was my idea of putting (laughs) that first. Prime us a little bit. Right. Okay. So this is thought to be one of the most violent cemeteries in the world. There are thought to be a few spirits present, well, many spirits present in the cemetery. But there's one in particular, to be on the lookout for, and it's the poltergeist of Sir George Mackenzie. Why do you need Why? to look out for him? Tell me. He physically attacks people. <gasps> oh, good. <laughs> Just what I want. So a little bit about our boy Mackenzie. Back in the day, 17th century, to be exact, he was appointed the Lord Advocate to the King, and King Charles was the one who was king of England and Ireland and Scotland at the time. Um, And unfortunately for just about everybody, George Mackenzie led one of the most bloody religious persecutions, which was against the Presbyterian Covenanters, due to them not accepting the state-approved religion or swearing their loyalty to King Charles II. Which I'm just like, Charles, get over yourself. Why does everyone need to do what you're doing? Be your own person. Power trip. My gosh. Ew, Charles, get over yourself. (laughs) Anyway, as Lord Advocate George, should I call him George? I'll call him Mackenzie. Mackenzie, his last name. Lord Advocate Mackenzie was responsible for persecuting the policy, and he helped carry out the prosecution and was said to be a very evil man in human form as well as in spirit form. He was given the name Bloody Mackenzie which I assume is, it's like B-L-U-I-D-Y, so I think it's just spelled like bloody, Bloody Mackenzie. Well, there you go. Because <laughs> Pretty accurate. Spot on for him. Right. And he was given this nickname because of his treatment of the Covenanters. And there was a bloody battle known as the Bothwell Brig, and some 1,200 to 1,500 people were actually rounded up and imprisoned in the field next to Greyfriars Kirkyard which was the same cemetery that Mackenzie himself would be buried in after his death in May of 1691. So there were thousands of people who died, and then in this specific graveyard, there were about 1,200 to 1,500 people rounded up, and most of them were actually killed there, and only 257 people survived. 
So are they buried with him now? Oh, yeah, they are. Ugh, that's heartbreaking. Right, I know. Which is why it's such a violent area, too, because there's just a whole host of spirits maybe not even getting along or feeling right gypped by where their final burial place was. Yeah. Mackenzie appeared to be a loving man, a legal scholar, and he was even thought to have written the first Scottish novel. And he just really faked it throughout his whole life, so much so that his wife even didn't know that he was such an aggressive person or in charge of murdering all of these people. He was just like, look at me. I'm perfect. I'm a family man. But no, he was evil. So an OG serial killer. Right, basically. Mm -hmm. Prisoners were deported. They were tortured. They were starved. They were beheaded. And most of the prisoners died there and were buried buried in the Greyfriars Kirkyard. And the total number of deaths that Mackenzie was responsible for is about 18,000. <gasps> no. Huge what? number. Uh-huh. Yeah. So How is that physically horrible. possible to... What? I guess 18,000 people didn't want to do... Practice the same religion as King Charles or pledge their loyalty to him. That is madness. Yep. So 18,000 people died at the hands of Mackenzie and <gasps> King Charles as well. Um, oh, I hate that so much. And Mackenzie was buried, not in the ground, but he was buried in a casket within a mausoleum tomb, which is located on the property. So still basically in Greyfriars Kirkyard. And the poltergeist of Mackenzie is thought to have been released some 300 years later, because this was back in the 17th century. Right. But the time between Mackenzie's reign of terror in his life and then his reign of terror and his death when he was released, the cemetery did not lead a quiet life. And besides, obviously, the thousands of tormented souls remaining on the property, there's also a rise in body snatchers. <gasps> body snatchers. That's what they're called. And in the early 1800s, the University of Edinburgh's medical program was booming, which led people to steal the bodies from the cemetery and then sell them to the local students in an underground trade of corpses. So they'd go dig them up and then be like, hi, you're studying to be a doctor. I know that you need a skeleton because remember, they're, they were mostly just human skeletons back then. Right. And they would sell them. And so people, it became like such a huge problem. And people who had relatives that were buried in the cemetery began placing iron cages that went very deep into the ground around the body of their loved one to protect them from being dug up. It's crazy that you have to go through that, go to that extreme to prevent right. your loved ones from being dug so up. So crazy. So crazy. Wow. So that's what happened in the 1800s. I mean, I guess some people are just desperate for money. They'll do anything. True. There's always a black market for just about anything. So sometime later in 1998, a homeless man broke into the mausoleum where Mackenzie was laid to rest. And the man just ransacked the whole tomb. He went around and just broke everything open. And then he tried to pry open Mackenzie's casket. And he didn't get very far because a hole emerged below him and he fell down to the very bottom. And a bunch of remains from plague victims were then exposed in the same mausoleum, like in the ground in this pit that he fell into. And the homeless man ran out screaming and the legend goes, he was never seen again. Oh my gosh. Yes. But the next day, someone was walking by and noticed that the tomb or the mausoleum was open, and she said, quote, blasted back off its steps by a cold force. And many believe that this homeless man's disruption of the tomb is what awakened the poltergeist of Mackenzie, oh, and no. now the poltergeist remains tormenting visitors in the area. I just wonder what he was doing for 300 years between when he died and when he became a poltergeist was he just hanging out in hell preparing oh well actually okay so this is a good segue because in one of the articles i was reading um they had quoted a scottish poet named robert louis stevenson and from one of the poems in 1879 stevenson wrote when a man's soul is certainly in hell his body will scarce lie quiet in a tomb however costly sometime or another the door must open So I think that explains it. He's just an evil guy, and you can't contain evil for that long. Eventually it will escape. And that's exactly what happened. So So he was just waiting for his opening. I guess so, or his disruption. Yeah, the disruption of the tomb. 
and that was given to him in 1998. And since then, there have been 500 visually documented ghost attacks since the incident. That's 20 years, 500 ghost attacks, 25 attacks a year. Oh, my gosh. On top of that, there are over 170 people who have passed out during tours. Um, And a local psychic even channeled Mackenzie's spirit. And (gasps) it was through that psychic that Mackenzie took credit for the attacks. Like, Mackenzie, you you did enough in life to stop. He can't stop. He's evil. He's the worst. And injuries include burns, bloody noses, skin gouges, bruises, broken bones, hair pulling, being pushed, being kicked. People experience nausea, numbness, funky odors, auditory hallucinations. And mind you, most of these people were not alone. There are multiple witnesses present during most of these attacks and different paranormal phenomena. And some visitors claim that the poltergeist has even followed them back home or to their hotel. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. That's the worst. I, I know. I would avoid the cemetery at all costs then. It's, yeah. It's it's hard because it's a historic site. Right. And it's very beautiful. And it's around a lot of other things, which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. But So Mackenzie just has to ruin that for everything. Yeah. So apparently, I think most of the attacks happen when you actually go right up next to the mausoleum or, like, into it. Mm. So disrupting his final resting place. So I think if you just explore the other parts of the cemetery, you might be okay. But then if you accidentally get near it, you know, there's just a lot of yeah circumstances where you could just... Whoop. Yeah. And too, like, if you're more sensitive, like, I'll... I'll well, okay, so I'll get to it in a second. But okay. not long after the tomb was opened, uh, a woman was found near the entrance of the mausoleum unconscious and her neck was covered in bruises. So it was as if she went into the mausoleum and Mackenzie tried to strangle her. Oh. And then two years later, in 2000, Colin Grant, who was an exorcist and minister, he performed an exorcism on the cemetery and he quickly was overwhelmed by feeling hundreds of souls and also evil spirits trying to break through the human world. So he quickly stopped what he was doing. Yeah, right. He quickly stopped what he was doing and then he left. And sadly, he was found dead a few weeks later, having suffered from a heart attack. Oh my god. So a lot of people say that it's because of what happened on the cemetery or that Mackenzie has something to do with it. But the Discovery Channel actually did a special, I believe, with his son. And they went back to the cemetery to just explore what had happened and the Greyfriars Kirkyard and the curse of Mackenzie's poltergeist and everything like that. And the son had said that their family does not believe that the heart attack was due to what happened there. But when he went with the Discovery Channel, and I'm sure you can probably find the special that they did somewhere online, he said that he didn't even really get past the gates because he himself, I believe, has psychic abilities and he just felt incredibly overwhelmed. So if you're a more sensitive person and you're going to visit Greyfriars Kirkyard, it, it might be a little rough on you. It might... You might not want to walk wow. through. But if you do go, be careful and maybe avoid Mackenzie's final resting place. That's but smart. Yes. But if curiosity uh-huh. gets the best of you and you do choose to visit the mausoleum, the grave, there is a nursery rhyme that is said to really get Mackenzie riled up. And so people <gasps> say it. What and I'm it? so sorry for how I'm about to say it because it's spelled like it's in a Scottish accent, but I can't do a Scottish accent. <laughs> so I'm just going to read it as it's written. Okay. And it's going to sound horrible. But it's, Bloody McKingy, come out if you dare, lift the snake and draw the bar. Bloody McKingy, come out if you dare, lift the snake and draw the bar. <gasps> so, I mean, if you're really a rebel... You can do that. That's, like, way too much testing the fate. I know. <laughs> That's worse than playing with the Ouija board. Right. I know. To go to the place where he attacks people, and it's not like, ooh, he might attack people. There's 500 documented cases of visual attacks. Like, it's, I think right. we can say now that it's a thing. It's not, you know. And then yeah. to provoke him like that crazy but sabrina i have a little bonus section for you oh my gosh for me is there a cat involved something that you might love better more (gasps) what okay 
The cemetery okay. is across the street from the Elephant House Cafe, which is where J.K. Yes. Rowling spent most of her time writing chapters for the first Harry Potter book. And yes. the George Harriet School is on the other side of the cemetery, and then the Edinburgh Castle is not far from there either. They're both kind of visible from the cafe. And both look awfully similar to Hogwarts. So, inspiration there. And then yes. the cemetery also, so the Greyfriars Kirkyard has a headstone with the name Thomas Riddle, which is thought to have inspired the name for Lord Voldemort, who's Tom Riddle. And Harry Potter fans frequent the cemetery and the grave, leaving notes and flowers to Thomas Riddle all the time. if you had said this in the beginning, I would have totally have known what you were talking about. That's why I left it till the end. (laughs) Have you been there? Did you go? I I did not go to – I went to the cafe, so I did see the cemetery, but I did not go into the cemetery. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What's the cafe like? I wanted to go. I tried to – I, like, went on their website and stuff. It's very – it's very what you would expect of a Scottish little cafe. Oh, so cute. I haven't been to Scotland, but I've been to Ireland, which they're probably – someone out there is like, they're not the same! But They're definitely not the same, but they have some similarities. Architecture must be somewhat similar, you know? Yeah. Weather. Weather's the same. Weather's the same. It's a little dark and rainy. Right. I know. I need to go. I just didn't have time this past time. But um, I actually have a a quick email from someone who went here. No way. Yeah. It's short, but I'll, I'll just read it right now. Okay, great. So this is from Josie, and she said, Hey, guys, I absolutely love your podcast. I've been binge listening to it since my roommate told me about it yesterday. So in 2000 – this was, like, not yesterday. This was a long time ago. (laughs) Now it's been a while. Yeah. So in 2014, my brother and I took a trip to Scotland, but I have been living in Marudius before. Sorry, I don't know how to say words. (laughs) And must have caught the bug because – I was super sick. After we walked around a bit, I was way tired and I needed to sleep. And my brother and I walked to a park and I took a nap in the grass while he read a book. And when I woke up, I wanted to take a picture of the park where we were because it was so beautiful. So I held up my camera to get a shot and the family was walking past. And lagging behind was a boy with a white collared shirt that was a little dirty and disheveled. I watched him look at me through my camera lens and right before he was out of the shot, he turned around and walked the other way back into my shot still staring at me. Two more boys entered the shot, and the boy walked with them too, and I waited for a little longer, but I was sick of waiting, you know, like for him to get out of the shot. So I just took the photo and complained to my brother about the boy who kept ruining my shot. He said there wasn't a third boy, and when I looked at the photo, there were only two boys in the shot. We then realized that we weren't in a park. We were in the graveyard called Greyfriars Kirkyard. (gasps) No! And I looked into it later and found out that Greyfriars is notoriously haunted. It's also speculated that J.K. Rowling got Tom Riddle's name from the tombstone there as well. So I don't know if my fevered brain had anything to do with seeing him, but it's freaky either way. Hope you have a great paranormal-free day, Josie. Oh my gosh. I love when we get emails that have to that relate directly to the topic we discuss. I know. It's so good. Why can't everyone read our minds and know what we're going to talk about in the future and email us about it? I don't know. Make our lives so much easier. Right? Help us. (laughs) Help me. And we have other listener emails from other cemeteries all over the world, right? Do you have I believe we do. Or we, even if they don't, we have other listener stories to share with you because... That's what we do. Mm-hmm. They include, I believe, the, both the emails include um, stuff that happened at cemeteries or something like okay. that. Well, mine is from Mac, and the subject is personal ghost story. Hey, yeah, my name's Mac, and I was hoping to share one of my accounts of supernatural encounters. So I should preface this with I was not in a good headspace or doing well in regards to my physical health. I was living in Charleston back when I was a freshman in college, which isn't that far away considering I'm now a senior at USC. 
I had been spending the night at my friend's place during a tropical storm which had been pelting the city for a day or two, and I went for a walk back to my dorm, but instead, I walked from campus all the way to the piers in Harbor, despite my friend having blatantly warned me and asked me to stay. So I walked through the heavy rain for 30-ish minutes before coming to the markets area of downtown with those open-air pavilions leading down to a historic building. It was raining so hard you couldn't see five feet in front of you, and I managed to spook a policewoman coming by in coming in from the rain talking to her and then leaving mid-conversation without a goodbye i know i spooked her because she reached for a gun when i came in from the rain with my face obscured and silent <laughs> spooky i would be scared by that too. yeah me too by the time i reached the pier that i usually walk to i was drenched and just angry at everything since again i wasn't doing so great in the mental and physical health department So from there, I screamed into the storm with a bunch of profanities and demands of the storm. And I think the worst line, which I regret deeply, I said, anyone even out there? Is anyone even listening? Do something. Give me something, world. Do something. I felt better after having screamed at the sea and storm at around midnight to 1 a.m. And then I walked back home as the storm began to ease up. I was dripping wet still, and I got lost, which I did a lot in Charleston. And I got tired, and I took a break, and I sat down beside many of the churches downtown, up against the fence to a graveyard, when I started hearing footsteps slapping against the cobblestone street. This was 1 a.m., or close to that, since I had my phone working still. No one was going to be walking around this late at night after a storm. Except for him. Uh, So I got up and walked faster back to my dorm room. I eventually got within three blocks of it, and the footsteps behind me were still there, sometimes, and then other times not. So I took a deep breath and stopped walking for a bit, and I counted. I got to five before I got a harsh chill and stumbled forward. I started feeling very sick, considering I had been in damp clothing for the past four-ish hours. So I started to run home. I got to my dorm, signed in, rushed upstairs after scaring the guard at the front desk, and I got out of my damp clothing. I took a shower and saw in the mirror scratch marks down the center of my back. (gasps) I couldn't have scratched my own back. I was wearing a thick tundra jacket, a sweater, and an undershirt. After I was cleaned and all warmed up, I knew I was going to be sick for the next few days, so I go to bed and passed out. I had countless nightmares about drowning in my own life or at the hands of a woman in a gray-white dress drowning me. I'd wake up to the sound of dripping in my room. I just rolled over and tried to fall back asleep. I had this go on for two days before I called a friend to confess what had happened, and they had a friend tell me to sage my room and put salt and something else around my bed before I slept. I dealt with this for a few months, but she didn't really do much else, and I was lonely enough that sometimes I spoke to it when I was waking up from nightmares. Eventually, they left, or I just don't hear the dripping noise and whispering at night. I'm not sure. That was the most I remembered about it since I've had a lot of head trauma before and after that experience and my memory is a bit muddled. Sincerely, Matt. I really wonder what it was that followed him. But he said when he sat down and took a break when he got a little turned around in downtown Charleston that he was sitting across from a graveyard. So it sounds like something that spotted him and given the headspace that he was in, obviously he was projecting a more vulnerable energy and something attached to him. When I followed up, he responded saying that he had three family deaths within four months of each other and this was in the middle of all of it. I wonder now if that had been part of it as well. I tended to see her with black hair and fog where her eyes should be and blood coming from her mouth. Oh my gosh. In my dreams, she was always a massive, always massive, or part of the water that tried to drown me. A few months after this, she left, and I was leaving Charleston soon. So maybe it was getting out of that place that had been really good and really horrible for me. Yeah, I... He said, thank you for making such a good podcast. I ended up burning through all of the episodes in one day. Sincerely, a dude who's been almost dead a few times. Dang, Mac. Mac. Yeah. I mean, like we said, I feel like when you're in a vulnerable, vulnerable place or an emotional state, yeah, you become kind of target. a target to the spiritual mm-hmm. yeah i'm just glad that he did get out and that he eventually was in a space where he couldn't hear or see the woman anymore yeah because she was definitely malevolent and was right. not and the scratches down his back not there to comfort him the scratches yeah Ugh, rough Ugh. so don't go on a rainy night alone and get lost in a city and then decide to stop right in front of a cemetery yeah. If you can help it. <laughs> Although I feel like walking in the rain is actually very cathartic. Mm-hmm. That's true. I do like when it rains. Me too. The smell of the rain. Oh my gosh, wait. Have I ever told what? you this? Oh, you know, I told my Uber driver. I think. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I was reading one of those lists that's always posted on like the creepiest things that kids 
like 17 creepy things your child has said to you or whatever. And there was one where a woman's young child had been in a coma when she was like three years old or something for a couple weeks. And then sometime later after the child's now okay, they're walking in the rain and the the little girl goes, "Mm, it smells like God. (gasps) And so... Yeah, the woman Chills. was like, so if you've ever wondered what God smells like, apparently it's rain. Wow. And I wonder if that's why everyone oh tends my gosh, to chills. like the smell of rain. That's interesting because it has – well, it's also like the whole cleansing properties of rain and how it's thought to be like cleaning the yeah. earth. it provides life. Smells like God. Yeah. So wild. Wow. Okay. Well, I have one – This is from Ian. It's called How I Helped Cross My Uncle Over Into the Light. Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. That's (laughs) right. I know. I know. When I (laughs) responded to him, I'm like, you're basically like medium or ghost whisperer because this reminds me a lot of it. Okay. Oh, my God. Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. I love the podcast and I'm so glad that you all are bringing the world of the dead into the world of the living. I have so many stories to share, but I'm going to focus on just one for this email. Since I was a small child, I have been able to see and at times speak with the dead if they want to chat. I grew up in a haunted family, and I say a haunted family because it's been my experience that generally it's the people that are the most often haunted and places less often. Anyway, this story is about my Uncle Bobby, who passed away almost four years ago. My uncle was in his late 60s when he passed, and he had lived an eventful life. He left my grandparents' home when he was very young, I think he was 11, and lived with friends in a a nearby town. He eventually joined the military in the 50s and spent a few years living that life. He had three wives and a couple children. He was also an alcoholic and an occasional drug user, and he finally got clean in the last 10 years of his life. He avoided doctors as much as possible, and by the time his prostate cancer was discovered, it had progressed too far. Uncle Bobby... Oh, it's so God, cancer's the worst. Uncle Bobby lived in the D.C. area, and when he died, his body was brought back to the small town in Virginia where he had grown up and where his family still lives. The funeral was the normal funeral with a viewing and then some preaching. The following day, we had a graveside service in the family cemetery. The entire time through the viewing and graveside service, I could feel that Bobby wasn't at rest. I saw him standing around the funeral home and then later at the cemetery, standing off to the side watching the service. He did not try to talk or interact at this time, and so I just let him be. Two weeks later, I went to sleep without having thought of my uncle for a couple of days. That night, I dreamed that I was riding in an old 60s model vehicle, the kind with the bench seats in the front, and I was sitting in the middle. Uncle Bobby was driving, and then there was a man sitting next to me that I didn't recognize. My mom and two other family members were in the back seat. We were driving down the road to the family home where my parents live, and the light was so bright that it was hard to see the road. The entire car was just covered in bright sunlight, and everything felt warm. We pull into the driveway, and my mother and the other people in the back seat jump out and say that they're going to go get things ready for dinner in the house and for Uncle Bobby and I to come in. Uncle Bobby and I are standing in the front yard, and then the two men standing next to him that I don't recognize. Uncle Bobby says, I guess we need to get into the house for dinner. And I look at him and I say, no, Uncle Bobby, it's time for you to go home. That light behind you is for you. You need to go into it and go home, and we will see you soon. And Uncle Bobby smiles and looks at the two men. They turn around and walk into the light, and the light dims and disappears, leaving me standing in normal sunlight in the front yard. I wake up, and I feel such relief and lightness to my being. That morning, I call my mother and tell her about my dream. I describe the two men from the dream that I didn't recognize, and she starts crying and says that they're her uncles. The two uncles were around Bobby's age and grew up with him, and they had both passed away years before I had been born. That's the story of how I helped my uncle cross over. There are many more stories of ghostly encounters and some that don't end as nicely as the story, but those are stories for another day. Thank you all for bringing these stories to the public. While it may not seem like a big deal, you all are helping people feel less alone with their experiences, and that is an important thing. Thank you again and see you on the other side. Ian. Oh my gosh. That is beautiful. I know. Uh, See, he's Ghost Whisperer. He is. It's so special, too, and I love that, you know, his uncle was, like, waiting for approval for him 
basically. Like, just needed that extra push to be like, it's okay, like, we'll see you soon. And that Ian didn't even recognize the two guys, but it was his mom that identified them as family members. And it's it's such a theme that we've been seeing. A lot of times, family members will be waiting and help move the spirits over. But this is another reason that you should share your paranormal experiences with your family because something that might not make any sense to you makes a lot of sense to someone else. Right. Piece together. Right. Like had he never told his mom, he wouldn't have known who those two men were and understood the importance of their being there. Exactly. Oh, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. Wow. I love... Man, you guys. I love happy endings. So this was a positive one, including a cemetery. Yeah. Even though his uncle was not at rest while they were in the cemetery. But, but like we talked about, like we talked about, I feel ending. like dying is confusing and you aren't, I'm sure like in the afterlife, you aren't sure if moving on will affect the people that you've left behind and you want to kind of get that confirmation. Right. And too, like maybe it takes some work from the people who cross over too if they're not maybe ready to cross over or if they do have confusion maybe there is no bright light maybe they don't see there's not a clear path on where they're supposed to go so they're just kind of hanging out confused waiting for something to happen and if they don't find that clarity themselves right or really accept what has happened they might not be able to so easily find that transition or you're in a place where the gates of hell seem inviting and it might be easier to turn that way I imagine... Don't be tempted. I imagine the temptation is crazy. They probably have, like, cats and lollipops and... Macaroni oh, and cheese. All the macaroni and cheese at the gates. And then, like, the second you get in, it's like dark and empty, vast open space. I won't be tempted. I will not go eat mac and no. cheese. I've got, hopefully, many, many more years <laughs> to convince myself to let it go. Get as much <laughs> mac and cheese in now so you don't want it in the afterlife. Truffle mac. Ooh, so Ooh-hoo. good. Um, okay, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We love hearing your stories, so make sure you email them to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm going to post that video from the Paris Catacombs on our Facebook page, so maybe you can join our Facebook group and watch it yourself. And then we have Instagram, which you definitely need to follow. That's where we post a lot of photos of places that we talk about and even other people's ghost photos. Yep, it's just two girls, one ghost. And then we have Twitter. And then also, guys, please rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. It really helps us. It helps us keep on the top charts and helps other people find us, which then helps you because we get more ghost stories. And I know it seems like a small little favor or like it doesn't, like you might be like, oh, well, someone else is probably reviewing. I don't have to. But no, everyone. (laughs) But no. (laughs) Everyone should do it. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Do what you are doing and you should be rating and reviewing us. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Please. (laughs) Thank you. And we will. See you on on the other side. side.